Today, um, Bishop Johnson has had us in a book called All In. And there was something that captured my eyes when um, we, we started reading that book. And I, I, could not, um, I could not break away from it, this one particular statement. And it's, spoke of, it's spoken of in the book of Joshua. He, said, he says in the word of God, Joshua, the third chapter, Consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And I believe the word of the Lord is to this house. Consecrate yourself, because tomorrow I will do amazing things among this house. Anytime, you have to understand this. I was reading the book, and, and, and he says, anytime God is about to do something amazing in our lives, he calls us to consecrate ourselves to him. The problem is that we want to do great things for God. The problem is that we want to do great things for God, but God wants to do great things through us. Our part is not to do the great things, but let him do the great things through us. But our part is to consecrate ourselves. Say consecration. He gave an interesting definition about consecration. He says, consecration demands full devotion. It's dethroning self and enthroning Christ Jesus. It's the complete divestiture of all self-interest. It's giving God the veto power in your life. And when, it, when the scripture, when it's not the scripture, but it should be, but uh, when it says giving God the veto power in your life, basically he's saying that, that, that God has the right to say yes and no in your life. And he has the right to call or dictate you should do because we have been bought with the price. It's surrendering all of you to all of him. Consecration is an ever deepening love for Jesus. A childlike trust in the heavenly father. A blind obedience to the Holy Spirit. A simpler definition is going all in all out for the all in all. The word says, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things among you. So what is the Lord asking of us in this season in terms of consecrating ourselves? Because most of the time, we think it's just a bunch of activities, but it is an attitude of heart. It is a place where you come before God and says, Lord, no more me, all of you. I bow before you. My life belongs to you. So we're going to talk about something that Bishop Johnson, in light of consecration, we're going to talk about something Bishop Johnson spoke of in the beginning of the year. Bishop Johnson opened 2018 by preaching to us about atmosphere. How many of you know we've had a storm? We had a, a, a hurricane come through, and, and it's still moving, and now it is a, a uh, depression, I believe, at this point. But how many of you know that 
hurricane, I think, what's the name of the hurricane? Florence. How many of you know Florence didn't start as a hurricane? It started as what? A tropical wave. And then it became a depression. Then it became a tropical storm. Then it became a hurricane. Stage one, stage two, stage three. Now, in order for it to become a hurricane, some changes had to occur in the atmosphere. If the conditions were not met in the atmosphere, guess what? There would be no hurricane. So there had to be what? Warm water. And it had to be wind. And then the formation of clouds moving clockwise. And then feeding more water. And then the formation of the eye wall eventually becoming a hurricane. But it happened because the conditions were present in the atmosphere. About two years ago, Bishop Oriole spoke to us. I remember we were in the reception hall. It was, no, it was three, three years ago. And he said, if you want to have a move of God, then there must be a spiritual atmosphere. How many of you, now how many of you felt this this morning? When we did that last worship song, when the keyboard started playing the chords, even before Pastor Chris started singing, when the chords were playing, the atmosphere began to shift. It began to change. I felt a strengthening coming in me. And the word of the Lord beginning to flow because the atmosphere shifted and changed. You will always receive what, whatever atmosphere you pursue. Now, I'm going to give you two examples of two atmospheres, and then we're going to talk about what, we're, what type of consecration the Lord is leading us to. Don't worry, I'm not talking about fasting, so. I mean, I'm talking about an attitude. I'm not talking about somebody saying, oh, I don't have the authorization to call a fast. Praise God. Now, Bishop Johnson, if he wants to, praise God. But in Mark, the sixth chapter, the first five verses, it says, they came to the other side of the sea and to the country of Gassanus. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him, even with a chain, because, because he had often been bound. I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong one. I know I, it's called, okay, sixth chapter. Okay, sixth chapter, I'm sorry. It says, Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown. 
and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogues. And the many listeners were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him and such miracles as these performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter's son, the son of Mary, the brother of James, of, of, of Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at Jesus. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And notice here, he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. Here Jesus he has all, he has the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the, the, the Holy Spirit without measure. And Jesus was limited in what he could do because the atmosphere was not right. You had people in the circle, they were offended at him. They were trying to say, he's married. Well, what are you trying to do? They became familiar with him, and Jesus moved in the lowest level of anointing. Thank you, sir. And he moved in the lowest level of anointing because the atmosphere was filled with unbelief. Now, go to the, the 56th verse in that chapter. All right, saints, 56. You try and using the phone for a change. <laughs> using the phone. For <laughs> so wherever, now get this, wherever Jesus entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that he might just touch, that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak, and as many as touched it, they were cured. One atmosphere, no miracles taking place. Another atmosphere of faith, and everybody that touched his cloak, everybody, they were healed because of the atmosphere. I just want to put you in remembrance that Bishop Johnson spoke about spiritual atmosphere the beginning of this year. So what, what, what type of atmosphere is the Lord after in these, upcoming, in these upcoming months? I believe, first of all, the atmosphere he's looking for is, a, is the a level of hunger for his presence. The Bible says Cornelius was so hungry that he sought God. This, this man was a, he was an unbeliever, but he sought God so much with all of his heart, with everything inside of his being, with his, with his in prayers and with his giving. And the Bible says, and his giving came up before the Lord as, as a memorial. And, and, and when the scripture says, and his giving came as a memorial, it was like, his giving was in the face of God. 
so much that God remembered his prayer request. And his prayer request triggered, a, ultimately triggered a revival among the Gentiles, which included his household receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But it was his hunger. So attitude, component number one, our hunger for the Lord. And I want to say this, if you're not hungry for the Lord, if you're not hungry for him, if you're not hungry for his presence, and if you feel like you can't break through, then that is a major reason to attend the encounter retreat. I've heard people say, I don't want to go to the encounter because they're going to preach the same thing. The encounter is not about information. The encounter is about you encountering God, the displacement of the demonic realm away from your life, the invasion of the kingdom of God inside of you so that you can become all that God has called you to become, the removal of everything that would restrict you from fully responding to the presence of the Holy Spirit. The encounter is not about information. Encounter is about transformation. You can receive information, but never be transformed. And maybe the very reason you resist the encounter and you're hungry, your hunger for God is not there, but you find yourself resisting, it may not be you resisting it, it may be the demonic realm, it may be the spiritual atmosphere in you and around you that's causing you to oppose it. Because you can create an atmosphere around you by partnering with the thoughts that the enemy gives you. And the more you partner with that thought, the more it becomes an atmosphere in you and around you. Okay. The next change, the next thing, the next component, how many of you want the, mir the miracle atmosphere to be inside of this church? So that whoever walks through these doors, Lord have mercy, whoever walked through these doors, how many of you would, what, what would happen if, if, if the presence of God was so thick, not that we would have a move of God every Sunday, but that we would have the habitation of God where he would come and just sit down here at 999 Briarcliff Road, Lord have mercy, and sit here in his manifested power. Lord, have mercy. You know, when that happens, because it's going to happen, you're talking about a move of God that no one can phantom. So the next thing is prayer. Prayer is an ingredient. How many of you know you can't make a cake with just flour? So the next area is prayer. Um, I went to the physical therapist, and she asked me a question. She said, um, Mr. Crawford, one of the things we notice when we look at your knees is that you have calluses on your knees. And she said, uh, "Could you must do, do carpentry, a lot of carpentry work or um, a lot of work on your knees. And, um, and so I said to her, I said, I have, I've had needs in my life and situations in my life that only God could answer. 
and she was startled. Oh, yeah. One of the, the things I'm dealing with now is that I'm so used to, you know, I don't kneel all day long in prayer. And I don't kneel thinking that that's the only way God is going to manifest. But it's like my heart bows before him. And it seems like the only way I could demonstrate to God sometimes that my heart is bowed before him is that I'm on my knees. Is that I'm prostrate before him. That's my demonstration that he is God. So I've had to deal with it lately. I said, God, I sure would like to kneel, praise God, but it's coming, amen. But one of the things that has to change is our level of prayer. He says in Luke 18, 1, men ought to always pray and not faint. When Jesus prayed at his water baptism, the Bible says the heavens opened. Jesus is the model, the template for us. The Bible says, and while Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face became different. His clothing became white, glistening. He began to experience the transfiguration. It occurred while he was praying. The scripture says that Jesus prayed all night long before he chose his 12. Before Jesus hung on the cross, he won the victory in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed and prayed and prayed and submitted to the will of the Father. And the Bible says in the book of Acts, he says, and he says, all of these were, all of these continued in prayer on one accord. And then because they were on one accord and they corporately prayed, the Bible says, and the Holy Spirit began to, to fall upon the 120. And then the scripture says, and the apostles gave themselves to prayer and the word of God. They, they brought forth the deacons so that the deacons could take care of, of, of the simpler task in the house of God so that the apostles could give themselves to prayer. Paul said, I thank God more, I thank God. I speak in tongues, I pray in tongues more than you all. And, and yet no wonder the aftermath of Paul moving in that dimension, the aftermath of him doing it, he wrote half of the New Testament because of the revelation that flowed in him. When Peter was about to be killed and he was in jail. The scripture says that the house church or the small group began to pray. Lord, have mercy. A, a connection group began to pray. Lord, have mercy. And, and they prayed, they kept praying, they kept praying. And then, and then they heard a knock at the door. And, 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 they, thought, and then they thought it was Peter's angel. And, and it was the Lord who broke him out. It synchronized with the saints of God praying. We're going to witness the Lord moving in great dimensions because we pray, our prayer lives are increased personally as Jesus did. And then when we come together corporately and, and pray together and also when we begin to pray on a small group level, the prayer level has to go up. Then the next, how many of you want to know the next ingredient? The next ingredient is worship. Just recently, um, Bishop Johnson was talking to us, talking to his men, talking to his 12. And he was talking to us about how many of you have struggled in your devotional times? 
um, this, during the summer. Bishop Johnson said, he said, he gave the instructions. He said, why don't you begin your devotion with worship? Rather than just go in praying, why don't you begin with worship and allow the Lord to lead you from there? My God, revolutionize. The reason why there was a breakthrough at that juncture is that God inhabits the praises of his people. The scripture says that God is literally enthroned on the praises of his people. So that when we worship God, when we worship him individually and corporately, and we adore him, we, we, we adore him, and we, and, and we respond to him from our hearts, I want to tell you something. He is enthroned in our presence, and any demonic activity taking place has to bow down. It's no, in Jesus' name, I cast you out. He invades the time-space. Eternity invades time-space when we worship him. Worship is an instinct that God put inside of us. It's an urge. We were created to worship. And the issue is this, saints. You got to think about this. We were created to worship God. If we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping something else. Because it's in us to worship. God made us to worship. Man, some of the greatest acts of God, the walls of Jericho fell because the people of God got together and they shouted at the command of God. And the walls fell down. The walls didn't just fall down. The scriptures, literally, the walls of Jericho, I mean, pierced the ground. The walls went down this way because of the shout that came from the lips of the people of God. Jehoshaphat won the war because he, he placed the worshipers in front. And as the worshipers praised God, the enemy got confused and they began to fight each other. The battle indeed was the Lord. When we worship God, we hand the battle over to him. One thing we have to understand, we can't praise God and worry at the same time. When we magnify God, our issues of life are demagnified. When we praise God, it decentralizes itself. That's, that's why the flesh fights worship. That's the reason why sometimes there's a battle when we come together corporately and worship because the flesh hates the presence of God. The, the, the flesh wars. And, 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 and so what happens when, we pray, when you, you and I take that step of faith and, and, and say, I will praise him anyway. I don't care what went on at my house. I don't care how many fights took place. I don't care what's happening. Lord, I praise you right now. It decentralizes self. It moves self out of the way. You can't worship God and focus on you at the same time. You know what worship does? It enhances our receptivity to the word of God. When we worship God, I want to tell you something. Worship will turn your devotion into a whole nother world. 
you will hear the voice of God because the presence of God comes when we worship. And we're able to hear him. And if you are a seer, you will see him. You will smell him. You will perceive his presence. You will perceive the angels in the room. Oh, my God. How many of you felt that before? You were worshiping God and you knew that angelic beings were in the room while you were worshiping God. Praise and worship, it activates the angelic host. Sometimes when we're praying, we have to shift from praying into worshiping God. And I want to tell you something else. Praise and worship releases the prophetic anointing. The reason why I'm harping on this this morning because this church has a calling in the arena of praise and worship. And the Lord wants you and I to begin to take this area more seriously because it's part of that mixture, that consecration, so that tomorrow we would see signs and wonders among us. But we must worship him. How many of you know this is right? How many of you know that we must worship him? And, and, and the thing about it, we, we have to be worshipers in, at home in our devotion. Some, I, there are some nights that I go to bed and I, I have soaking music playing and I'm worship, I wake up, I go to bed worshiping him and I wake up worshiping him. I was going through a battle during this time when um, uh, for a couple of nights um, after I came home. Man, I had demonic attacks that were so wild at night. I, man, I was seeing stuff. I woke up one night. I, I think I woke the whole house up. I, I, I was cussing at the devil. I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I said, "Get, get, get," you know. And and because he, he that thing was in, it, it was bothering me. And then the next night, fear seized me. And then I said, enough is enough. <laughs> I said, enough is enough. I got that worship music. It wasn't, no, no, I, I wasn't going to spend time rebuking the devil. No, it was time for me to worship him. When you worship, when Metro worships, it opens up the gates of heaven. When Metro worships in this area, it opens up the gates of heaven to this community. When Metro worships, it releases the angels that have been assigned to this church. When Metro worships, it creates the atmosphere for signs and wonders. When Metro worships, it creates the condition for the power. Then the next thing, the next thing that must, the next thing is the word and faith level is part of this mixture. It was really interesting. The Bible says, and the word of God continues to grow and multiply, Acts 12, 24. And the word of God spread, Acts 13, 39. And then it says in Acts, the 19, 20 chapter, the word of God, word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing, Acts 19, 20. Now it's interesting, that was talking about the school of Tyrannus. But really what happened Paul, as an apostle, was teaching his, he was teaching a school of ministers. Eight hours a day for about two years. 
And the result of that, it says in Acts 19.10, all of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And Paul navigated an apostolic movement that infiltrated all the known world because the heavens were open because of the apostolic teaching and preaching. And as Paul was preaching and teaching and releasing revelation, it was not only a word to the people, but it was a word manifesting the wisdom of God to the principalities and powers, and they were displaced because of the preaching and teaching of an apostle with the word of God. The word level going up. And you have to understand this. The whole creation is voice activated. God created everything by his voice. And then we're made in his image. And he's saying to Metro in this hour, as you begin to speak the words that I give you, the, this community is voice activated. The 12 is voice activated. The harvest is voice activated. The miracles are voice activated. I'm just waiting on you to declare my word. And it's interesting in Mark, the 11th chapter, he says, but believe, but believe, he says, but believe what he says is going to happen. The next ingredient is, so what was the first one? Hunger, what came after hunger? Prayer, what came after prayer? And what came after worship? Word, and the next is honor. This was, man, when I was praying about this message, the, the, the word honor, God calls us as vessels of honor. I want to say something. One of the things that really endeared my heart towards Bishop Johnson and Lady Carolyn was how I saw them treat people, how I saw them treat the elderly, and how I saw how Bishop Johnson and, 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 and how I see them even now, how they take time. I, I've seen them tired, and they will take time or pray with somebody because they asked. Or they're not, not a leader, they're not in the 24. And they just reach out and love on them. Man, they've always been that way, always been that way. That was the thing that really, really hit me. I've never, I, in all 40 years of ministry, I've never heard Bishop Johnson, I've never heard him dishonor Never, never heard he or Lady Carolyn do that. But they've always, always spoken well of people. And so most of the time we hear of honor this way, but there is a honoring that God wants us to have towards one another, where we honor one another. We give value to one another. The first law of favor is that we honor our parents. And when we honor our parents, we, we release a wave of the favor of God in our lives. And some of us are not able to honor our parents because our hearts are not right. Our hearts are full of issues from the past. This encounter is about being freed from the hurts of life from your parents because there is a level of favor that God wants you to walk in that will, see when favor is, when honor is present, 
favor manifests. And when favor manifests, finances manifest. But see, if, if the first law of favor is honoring your parents, then you cannot walk in that dimension until your heart is clear. When your heart is clean, when you, there is no offense in your heart towards your parents. And that's one of the things that happens in the encounter. It's not just about dad, it's also about mom. We're called to honor men and women of God. We're called to honor men and women in authority. Husbands, the scripture says, wives, obey your wife. The scripture says, wives, obey your husbands. But before it says that, it says, submit to one another. But the bigger thing it says, it's interesting, the scripture never says, wife, love your husband. The scripture says, let the older women teach the younger women how to love their husbands. But the, the central command that God gives a husband is that he must love his wife. He must be willing to lay down his life for his wife. You cannot lay down your life for someone that you do not honor. In fact, the Bible says you have to treat her like she's, she's, she, like she's China. You don't put China in the dishwasher. Not fine China. Cheap China, you can just throw it in there. But fine China, no, you have to wash it carefully. You don't let Junior wash fine China. You, you're the one that does it because it's valuable. And, and God is, is really, the, the scriptures is really, it has a strong precedence about this because if the husband does not treat the wife right, then the Bible says your prayers will be hindered. So there's a level, it, say, it says, husbands, do not embitter your wife. Do not make your wife's life frustrated. Do not make her bitter. Do not provoke your children to anger. And sometimes we can't help it because of what was done to us. But freedom comes. Freedom begins. I'm going to say it that way. As you're very open to God so that he can bring the change in your heart. This thing about honor is so important because I believe even as the Lord calls the king to awaken in his dream and said, what have, what have I done for this man, Mordecai, who saved my life? The Lord will begin to awaken other people to bless you and give you doors into Areas that you could not even phantom because your heart changes regard of, regarding honor. We got one more. So the first one was what? Hunger. Second one was what? Third was? Fourth was? Fifth was? The sixth is generosity. If that lad had not been willing to give up his lunch, there would have never been the multiplication that would have, that would have fed, that fed 5,000 men and perhaps 10,000 men and women, um, women and children. But the, the multiplication began 
with the act of generosity. It was the woman who fed the prophet the last meal she had in her house. And you would say that is true. Why would the prophet ask the woman for, for, for her last cake? Because he knew God wanted to multiply. He wanted to take what was in her hand, but she had to be willing to give what's in her hand. Generosity opens the door for unusual blessings. The Bible says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Generosity opens the door for unusual encounters from God. Because when, when Cornelius, see, some of us are praying but not giving. The scripture says when Cornelius prayed and he gave. Now, I'm going to tell you what happened when Cornelius prayed and he gave. What happened was that it triggered, first of all, God had to call Peter to have a vision about eating chitlins and hog moths. Because God needed a messenger to go to the Gentiles. Peter was the one, but Peter needed to have an encounter with God to deal with his religion. So God gave him three visions where he was eating chitlins and hog moths. Pig feet, pig tails. And then when he had that encounter, then that prayer also triggered three men being released from another city to go get Peter. By the time those men reached Peter, Peter had heard from God that they were coming. Lord have mercy. Peter went with the men, went to Cornelius' household, met with the household, and then the Bible says when Peter began to preach, in the midst of his message, the Holy Ghost fell. There were unusual actions triggered from generosity and prayer. Probably one of the greatest outpourings of blessings came when Solomon gave this large offering to the Lord. He gave this large offering and the Lord was moved to ask Solomon, whatever you want, I give it to you. And Solomon turned around and said, I just need wisdom. And God said, I'm, okay, I'm going to give you wisdom. And because you didn't ask for long life and because you didn't ask for riches, I'm going to give you that as well. He took that blank ticket from God. But what opened the heavens was the generosity. And lastly, the Lord put in my heart that the final thing we put in that mixture is that we must give God the glory. We must be careful in this move, in this hour, that we give him the glory, that we give him the praise, that we don't take credit for anything. We give him the glory. We give him the praise. And if we're careful to do that, and this whole thing about honor, dishonoring one another can halt a move of God. I don't know about you, there have been times, man, when my wife and I were talking, and, and next thing you know, we end up with a wrong conversation. You know how you can have a wrong conversation? 
and then you end up talking about somebody. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is grieved in the conversation. And then we would turn around and we would pray and ask God to forgive us because we didn't want to be in trouble with God. I believe with my whole heart, if we do these things in these upcoming months, we would experience Metro becoming an habitation of God in this sector of the city where all nations would come into this house and know that God is God and come to know him because they experience his presence. Let's stand.